Hi, everybody. This is Jeffrey Short reporting from Market Scale Energy. We're pleased today to be joined by Ed Herz. He's a fellow for natural resources at BDO, the energy fellow at the University of Houston, a managing director for Hill House Resources, LLC, and he's been published in places like Forbes, the Houston Chronicle, among many other places. Uh, Ed, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you very much. Great. And we're here to talk about the Permian Basin. It's you know, blowing up in the oil and gas sector for the United States recently. Um, it's turned us into a net exporter as opposed to a net importer, at least it did for a little bit of time. And now it's at least gotten us roughly uh, close to that point. So I want to know, where does this stack up as far as developments in the oil and gas sector um, go over the last you know decades? Well, I, you know, that one month ago, the, the little blip as a net exporter was really just a, um, uh, an aberration. You know, the United States still consumes about 17.5 million barrels a day. Uh, our net production is, is estimated to be about 12 million barrels a day for 2019. The Permian uh, has contributed about 4.5 million barrels a day and uh, should go up through 2019 if prices stay um, $60 and, and, and higher. Uh, this is really extraordinary because it was just 10 years ago that the total U.S. production was about 5 million barrels a day. And we were importing 12 to, to 13 million barrels a day just to make ends meet in the United States. This is, this is a tremendous turnaround. And so the Permian contributes about four and a half. The Bakken contributes the Denver-Julesburg Basin, the Eagleford. The advent of hydraulic fracturing and horizontal wells has allowed the independent oil companies and the majors to access reservoirs uh, that were just previously non-economic. And one thing that's been really interesting to follow in the Permian Basin is the economic volatility of the town. You see stories about hotel prices going from $50 to $500 overnight, uh, restaurant prices, everything um, is just going way up and way down based on what's going on in the oil field. So can you explain, is that unique to the Permian Basin or is that something that is uh, natural in these gas towns? Uh, no, it's it's essentially just like a, a gold rush town in California in, in the 19th century. The Permian is a massive area that's charged with hydrocarbons in, in a, a formations at a mile deep. Um, you know, we saw a big boom in the Bakken in North Dakota, and uh, but the Bakken's not nearly as prolific as the Permian. And so capital goes where the resource is. The resource is in the Permian. And the capital flowed in faster than the resource can come out. And so that, that provides some volatility just in terms of, of supply and demand. Once we have enough pipelines in the Permian Basin to, to bring the oil either to the coast or to refineries, and also to get the natural gas out of the Permian to consumption, uh, to, to uh, here's a hiccup, <laughs> once once. Once we have enough gas pipelines to get the natural gas out of the Permian to California, to Mexico, to consumer markets, um, then we'll see stability set in. Well, it'll be interesting to follow, Ed. And how long do you think this volatility will last for? Well, we're looking to see some pipelines come online in uh, late summer and early fall. Uh, these have been under construction the last couple of years. And then there are a number of pipes that should be coming into play uh, through 2020, and this will help uh, smooth out the uh, uh, 
aberrations we've seen with supply and demand, the takeaway capacity issues. Uh, you know, the, the challenge has been out in the Permian with oil coming in at 10 to $12 less than WTI at Cushing. And that's, that's really the cost of just trucking the oil out of the basin. If we had pipeline capacity, we would see prices out in the Permian um, significantly closer to what we see on the Texas Gulf Coast or, or in Cushing. And the same with natural gas. You know, for example, um, if we thought about growing oranges in North Dakota, uh, suddenly, let's say we can grow oranges in North Dakota, you know, we would be growing oranges faster and, and more rapidly than there are consumers in North Dakota. And so the price of oranges in North Dakota would plummet. Eventually, somewhere around Kentucky or Tennessee, uh, the export of oranges to Tennessee would meet the markets uh, served by Texas and Florida, and, and prices would generally be equal at that point. I also wanted to talk about who's actually doing the drilling out there. One of the big stories to break in the last month or so was Occidental's acquisition of Anadarko. Uh, they beat out Chevron in that deal. Can you explain to us the significance of that acquisition, and is that really as big a development as many people made it out to be? What we're seeing is a lot of consolidation right now across the oil patch. Um, the return on capital for oil and gas over the last one year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years has not been sufficient to match up with the return on capital for other asset classes. So, for example, consumer goods, um, tech stocks, uh, real estate investments, uh, clothing, apparel. And so, the valuations right now in the stock market for equities in oil and gas are relatively depressed versus the replacement cost of the assets. So it's less expensive for a company to acquire these assets by buying out a, a publicly traded competitor than it would be to go lease the assets. And that's why we're seeing these consolidations to date. Um, this just carries on a trend that began back in 2015 when the full brunt of the Saudi uh, drive to, to depress oil prices really hit the U.S. And lastly, I just wanted to open this up a little bit, maybe even beyond the Permian, but um, of course the Permian will play a big part in it, I'm sure. Just what should people keep an eye out for in the United States, um, in the energy sector, the rest of 2019? Well, I think we're going to see more volatility. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we're seeing a lot of actions in the Middle East that uh, are sowing the, the seeds of, of fear and supply disruptions, in particular uh, with Iran at, at one point last summer and again now. Uh, in the fall, it was the Saudis who were threatening to disrupt supplies and, and drive prices up. Um, there could be some challenges in, in that area. We've seen also the, the sanctions on Iran um, uh, appear to be relatively toothless. Uh, Iranian oil is getting to market. It may not be getting to market by the, the Strait of Hormuz, but there's so many ways to get oil out of Iran. They can ship it to Iraq. They can ship it to Russia. They can ship it out to Kazakhstan. That oil is still getting to market. It's just getting to uh, market at a discount. Uh, you know, the prospect of a military conflict in the Middle East or, or a, a, a blockage of the Strait Hormoz could bring uh, increased prices for a short period of time uh, and, until stability um, is resumed. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to forecast that. I mean, that's, 
that's outside the uh, the realm of, of of what economists do. Um, in the Permian, we have sufficient capacity, though, and and sufficient wells that have been drilled but not completed. So uh, these are called ducts, drilled but uncompleted wells. Uh, they're more than uh, 4,000. Uh, we have an opportunity there that if prices spike significantly, that we could bring additional capacity on in the United States that, that could relieve a one to two million barrel a day shortfall in a relatively short period of time, maybe six months. Um, so we're, we're better protected and better insulated against worldwide supply interruptions. Well, it will be fascinating to follow. That is for sure. Uh, thank you, Ed, so much for joining us today. We will look forward to the rest of 2019 in the oil and gas sector and definitely be keeping our eyes peeled on the Permian Basin uh, as that continues to develop. Uh, but thanks for joining us today. And for Market Scale, I'm Jeffrey Short.